I had a really hard time getting out of that. And my wife pushed me to, to, to get away from that fear and to start um, just pushing myself to do that. Hey, Weekenders, welcome back to the Art of Photography podcast. So first of all, Happy New Year to all of you. And, um, you know, I have someone very excited this, um, in this episode. And he's definitely one of the most senior photographers um, from uh, Perth, Western Australia. And he is, um, he has one of the most beautiful gallery who have won um, multiple different awards. So not only he won, um, you know, he made, he get some recognition from his photography, but he also get a lot of recognition from his gallery. And I'd like you to welcome Christian Fletcher. Christian, how are you doing? Hey, good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Oh, that's it's perfect. Here. I was, yeah, I'm so glad I like that. that um, sorry, yeah. I like that title of senior senior photographer sounds. <laughs> I, I have got a bit of great hair going on here, and um, I am actually getting a haircut tomorrow, everybody. So sorry for it looking so bad. <laughs> just, just what it is. Try to shape up a few years um, once you cut off that hair. Yeah, that's it. Well, I, well, they always say I look younger when I've got less hair. So, and when I met my wife, I had hair that was down to here somewhere and um i'd been dyed several times so it was kind of like a blondie orangey brownie kind of color it was pretty awful actually and i looked a bit like a homeless person so when <laughs> i met her she um she sort of shaked me up and um every now and then i go back into this homelessness kind of look but that's all right oh that's that's really funny because um when uh, when i have like a full like um a longer hair and then like a you know a, a more beard like i don't really grow that much beard but when i have a little bit more people actually thought i'm like 40 years old and then i shaved them off and then like are you 20 years old? Like, you know, the, the yeah, yeah. is crazy. So I know yeah. exactly what you mean. Yeah. All right. Well, look, thanks a lot for for jumping in, in the podcast. And um, it's great to have um, somebody who's been in the game for so long. And um, you, you have quite an interesting story on how you get into uh, photography yourself. Um, so do you want to um, just share with the listeners um, and a little bit walkthrough of what it's like on your early days when you first got exposed to photography? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it was um, got my first camera at fifteen. Everyone talks about. I think every photographer says, "I got my first camera at ten. I got my first camera at twelve. I got well, I got mine at fifteen. And didn't make me want to pick up the camera and take photos. It was just um, what was it cost? It was one hundred and fifty bucks. It was a Rolleiflex SL uh, thirty five, and um, it. Uh, I went thirds with my brother and my dad, so we all put in fifty bucks each. And I don't even know where I got fifty dollars as a fifteen year old boy. Um, maybe dad paid for the lot and just said, here, look, here's 50, give it back to me. I don't know. Anyway, <clears throat> this thing costs 150 bucks. And, uh, it's, um, I remember being at home, but no one ever doing anything with it. So for that, that first, uh, few years after that, I hadn't really even touched that camera and didn't even think anything about taking photographs. And then, um, when I was, uh, 18, I was working in the government doing a clerical job, just, you know, back, this is back before Photoshop, before digital, before computers, um, before the internet so it's quite a long time ago i'm a pretty old guy hence the gray hair and i i had a i was on holidays so um i had four weeks off off work and i was into surfing so i would surf a lot but on the in the first week i had a surfing accident cut my leg and i couldn't go back in the water because it got infected it was just this just a hole in my leg that that didn't heal properly and so i was so bored i was like oh my far out i've got three more weeks left what am i going to do all i want to do was surf and i thought oh, i'll just grab that camera again and, and see what that's all about and so i picked up the camera um, put in some uh, just some negative film that I don't know I must have bought it from the shop because you could buy film really easily back in those days because that's all there was 
and started taking a few photos, got them developed and just kind of enjoyed that process. And, and I remember it was a point where my sister said, oh, your, your photos look really good, Christian. I don't know why, but, you know, you take nice photos. So that was kind of my first compliment that I ever got. And that was from my sister. And that was you know, back when I was 18, which is, I, don't know, I can't remember how many years ago that is now. That's 30 something years ago, 35, 36 years ago. Anyway, um, uh, from there, I sort of gained a bit of an interest and uh, I took the camera to work and I would become, I became the unofficial photographer at work. So if there was a birthday party, they would get me to take photos of everybody. And um, then a, a wedding, my cousin got married. So I remember taking my camera to the wedding and doing a couple of shots there. And, um, and but, you know, that was the first time when I thought photography was kind of fun, but I never thought it was going to be a career. I was just um, doing this horrible job in the government, which I end up hating with a passion. Um, and then eventually I, I quit that job. I just, I, I just couldn't be there anymore. It was just mind-numbing. One of my main duties was to file uh, these forms in alphabetical order and when I started I had four piles of just like massive piles of paper everyone had to go in and a strict strict alphabetical order it wasn't just the A's here and the A and the B's there it was you know A, A, B, C, whatever anyway it was uh, mind-numbing and I did that for three months um, filing bits of paper and at the end of it I, only, I had three piles left so I started with four after three months I only had three so it just took me that long it was that and new forms were coming every day and it was just horrible so End up quitting there and then um, just bumming around with a mate. Um, we, we made a couple of sailboards because uh, we thought, oh, we'll just make some sail because I was into sailboarding as well. So we'll just make some sailboards and, and, and sell those. And that that didn't work that well because we, you know, I didn't have any skills. My mate did most of the work. I was just kind of like helping fund some of the materials. And uh, But we made a couple of sailboards that didn't float that well. They were a little bit heavy. And um, uh, I don't think I, I think I might have um, sailed one once, but it was a bit of a dog. So that business was never going to go anywhere. And, and then I started thinking about, oh, well, arts and crafty sort of stuff. So I, I would go out in the bush and find old lumps of old, old uh, tree roots and stuff. And I'd get out there with a, a file and some sandpaper and a, and a drill and I would try and make some shapes out of them and then varnish them up and put little flowers in them and, you know, blah, blah. And that wasn't going anywhere. That was, I did one. I think I gave it to mum. I think she liked it. But it was another dead end business. And um, uh, then eventually I ended up with a, a video library because a, a, a girlfriend at the time, her, her uncle was selling his uh, video library. So my sister and I got into that. It was a really cheap little old rundown thing. And then I ended up, we ran that for about five years or so and, and was quite successful because we, um, we managed to get a good following with, with clients because we, we knew their numbers and we, we, we um, gave them great service. And, uh, but then eventually that, that died out because the big video stores came in and um, so I decided, okay, right, I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. So at that time, my parents moved to Dunsborough and I had been on a trip around Australia working on, um, you know, I was actually doing video at that stage. I had a video camera, but this is you know, shooting film or cast film cassettes, whatever they are, whatever you call them now. And so I started that, um, and that was three months of just taking video. And I really enjoyed that process. And I was, I would, with my brother and his wife and I would just run ahead and film them walking past and then I'd make up these little scenes and I'd edit all this together and that was pretty cool that was I was quite in, enjoying that that process and then um, I decided that I was going to leave Perth and move down south and um, just crash with mum and dad for a while so that's when I thought oh maybe I'll pick up the camera again and I'll start taking photos so you know it's a bit of a long um, process from from when I first got the camera to when I actually started to um, be serious about it and I was 25 then at that stage when I picked up the camera again and thought I got to make this into a career because I, I think it'd be fun, a fun job, you know, it'd be easy. I won't have to answer to anyone. I can do my own thing, and and people won't be pushing me around, which is what happened in the government all the time. So um, I got the I got the little camera out and and um, 
realized that that wasn't going to cut the mustard. So I thought, oh, I'll invest all my money in a really good camera. So all the money I had at that stage was 1500 bucks. So I bought a, a Nikon 801S and it came with two lenses, I think. And, and that, that was my first camera. And within six months, I realized that camera was not going to um, cut the mustard. It was just, um, it was a consumer camera. It was, uh, well, I think they call it a prosumer camera. So it was a little bit better than the average. Um, and, but then I thought, no, I'm not getting the results. I had a black and white dark room and it set up at my dad's house and, and I would just do all the, do my stuff there. And, um, and I just worked in black and white pretty much exclusively at that stage. And then the whole aim was to, to take landscape photographs and sell them through a gallery. And I didn't think that I'd have my own gallery eventually. But anyway, I realized that, that, that Nikon was not going to cut it. So I bought a Bronica uh, medium format film camera, so Bronica SQAI and started using that. And that's when my work started to be elevated to a, a different level. And people were starting to take a bit more notice of what I was doing. So I wouldn't say I was good. It took me ages to work out anything. I had no, I mean, I, I went in green, completely green, bought the gear and just worked it out myself, tried to work it out. But even then I was, you know, you, you can only learn so much with film because you shoot it, then you've got to develop it and print it before you know what you've done wrong, pretty much. So that was a really long process. Hence, it took me another 10 years before I even started to get anywhere near um, reasonable level of quality. But, but I, I, I was pretty um, pretty uptight young guy, had a lot of stress, um, pretty nervy sort of type, scared of everything. And I was doing weddings and portraits and that was killing me from the inside. I was just sick. Every time uh, I would do a wedding, I would just be nauseous for the, the whole week beforehand. And, um, and the day before, and then the, the morning of the wedding, I just just woke up with this dread in my heart and, and I knew that I couldn't continue on doing that. So eventually I gave up um, photography for two days. And then I was inspired by a lady who had a small gallery in a small town called Esperance, south of, south, southeast of uh, where I was living. And, and I thought, wow, this lady can do, or she's doing what I had intended to do when I first moved down south was to have shoot landscape photographs and sell them in a gallery. And this lady was doing this. So that's when I thought I've got to get back to, to landscapes. And then from there, it was a long process of doing market stalls, um, trying to get um, my photos out wherever I could, but I was picture framing at the time as well. So I managed to um, con the guy I was framing with to give me space in his, in his uh, framing studio to, to hang my pictures. And eventually I ended up hiring, leasing the whole front of the, uh, the building from him and he had his framing stuff at the back. So we shared the space and that became my first gallery in Tuff. And then it sort of kicked on from there. So that's um, sort of abbreviated version of a probably you know, oh. 15, 20 year period of my photography career. Um, Christian, um, your audio just um, dropped off there a little bit. I'm um, not sure if the oh. microphone, yeah, the, the volume kind of just died down a little bit there. Oh, was, that, was I speaking not close enough to the mic? Um, might, no, it was okay and then it just died off. So it might be like disconnected or something. Oh, okay. Um, it seems to be testing one too. I guess you can't see any. That's. Uh, yeah. I wonder if it's coming through by the microphone on my. No, that's that's good enough. That's good. Yeah, yeah. So it must be. Okay. Something <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, that's that's uh, that's incredible. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I could, I can, I can't even imagine. So, so how do you actually progress and learn photography back then? You know, like right now, it, it's really hard to think back of your struggle because we got everything at our hand we got instagram we got facebook we got youtube we got it's just so interconnected with uh, with with the internet but you know like you say back then it was especially when you do it all yourself all that trial and error um really comes back um 
through a lot of legs. You know, after you finish the role, you take a photo and then you develop it. And then it's a, so, where do you actually learn like um, you know the technique and um, um, you know composition and lights and so forth? Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't learn it. It was just. In fact, I learned nothing until I went digital, and because I, I had no control. I mean, I, I remember um, getting some commercial jobs, and and um, and I saw some of the top commercial shooters in Perth lighting these scenes, and I'm going, oh, I don't even know how to use. It. I've got lights, but I don't know how to use them. I have no idea of how to balance that out. You know, I was using a light meter, all that sort of stuff. So it was all. I didn't. I didn't know anything. I think I had a book that Kodak released on photography. That was one book I remember having. Um, so I, hey, I had to pretty much learn on the job and that's why it took so long. Cause I, I literally went from 25 to 35, not knowing anything. And then 35, um, I had been to America and I, I saw some of the, some of, um, the best photographers over there and how they were working, what they were doing and, and then getting my act together and going, okay, well, I need to have control because I, 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 I'm sending these, these images off, these transparencies off to a lab and they're or actually I was shooting egg film a lot of it because it was all leftover film from the wedding days. So I had no control. I was sending it off to the lab expecting to get these great results back. And I was going, why can't I get the colors that these guys are getting? And so then I, I, I got a, um, I got into digital. So I basically, I wasn't in digital. I was scan, well, scanning. I was digitally scanning my negative, my transparencies. So I'd had a, I had a, I bought a Fuji GX670 panoramic camera. And that was, a, um, that was the, the first really expensive camera that I bought that, was going to allow me to do the landscapes that I thought I wanted to do at that, that that time. So I built my sort of career on shooting panoramic landscapes and digitizing them. And once I you know, could get them those files into Photoshop, uh, it was just a matter of teaching myself Photoshop. And, and that was, that was again, trial and error. Just, I had some books on, on Photoshop and how to do it. So yeah, that's when I started to get the control that I needed. Um, and, and that's, and this was still before, um, I think it was still be, oh no, the internet was around at that stage. But I don't know if YouTube was there, and there was definitely no YouTube videos on, on tutorials on whatever. So I was still um, just trialing, uh, doing everything myself. I was very insular when I first, well, in, for most of my career, I spent. I didn't know who was the top photographers were in in the country. I, I wasn't part of the AIPP, so I was pretty much just my own guy down in. You know, I was just a country, country hick um, taking photos and processing my way the way I sort of thought was right and it wasn't until I actually joined the ARPP that I started to realize what quality what quality I needed to work towards and that really helped helped me develop my, my skills and then I met some friends that taught me some stuff and went to a couple of seminars here and then I did a lot of I started doing a lot of workshops people I was getting asked to to teach people uh, you know how I how I did what I did and so I, I was very scared of public speaking I, I hated that the thought of being on the stage and just freezing and, and not, um, you know, just totally sucking at, at, at anything. So I, um, I had a really hard time getting out of that. And my wife pushed me to, to, to get away from that fear and to start um, just pushing myself to do that. So I started off doing small workshops in my gallery and it was actually pretty good because uh, I could set a, a small amount of people, you know, uh, like I think I was doing maximum eight people and, so I thought, okay, that's good. Then I had a, a workbook that they could follow along and I was pretty much going off a formula. And um, within the first five minutes, I realized that I, I knew what I was talking about because it was what I did. So it, it wasn't so hard. It was, I wasn't off on some topic that I had no idea about. And it was like, oh, I know how to do this. So yeah, I do this, this and this. And whether it was right, it was people didn't mind because it was what I was doing and they wanted to know what I was doing to get those photos looking like that. And, you know, they would come to the gallery and, and that was 
and that was going back about 10 or 12 years ago so but you know my my first times doing that i would just get a bottle of wine and pretty much knock off half a bottle before i started so that i wasn't so nervous and eventually i got to a point where i didn't need any alcohol to to, <laughs> to get on stage and um and yeah now and now it's all fine it's all good but ask me to talk about something i know nothing about and then i'll uh, you know, i'll freeze up <laughs> yeah, yeah so it was hard learning uh it's a, you know it's a roundabout answer but learning back then was impossible um and i think in some ways it made me a better photographer because i i i had to really be sure and when i was shooting film on my fuji it was five dollars every time i pushed the button so i had to make sure that whatever i was pointing the camera at was a, a reasonable shot whereas digital now you just you just shoot away you go oh, that, looks, that looks moderately interesting i'll take a photo of that and then you know eventually it's just clogging up hard drive well um i think that's definitely the, the struggles with um people who shoot digital camera or start with a digital camera and i'm one of them um you know so um yeah you're exactly right like um we're we're we take it for granted we don't think about what we shoot we just go like oh that's beautiful and we don't even think about what is beautiful about it what is you know whether or not it's a lie whether or not it's the shape whether or not it's the texture we just point and shoot and um i guess that's why they call it point and shoot cameras right because you yeah. just switched off you just go oh beautiful snap and and it's kind of why like um when i first started photography my photo doesn't really turn out that great because exactly what i did just point and shoot i didn't really put a lot of thoughts in that so yeah yeah, yeah. and look i i i'm like everyone else now today though I, I still take way more shots than i should um i've gone but i i think i taught myself um composition a lot better back in those days i mean i was shooting black and white as well so i wasn't worrying about color at all it was just worrying about tone and contrast and stuff like that so it, it maybe it helped me um you know become better at composition and um you know it just i guess you do anything long enough you kind of know what works and what doesn't work and and i see it all the time and 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 but look i don't get it right all the time i, I i'm just like everyone else um but then you get these moments where you find just that perfect composition and um, and also it's important to pre-visualize when you're out there in the field going okay well this the, the light's not perfect but i know that that little um you know headland is going to look beautiful and it could put a new sky or if we darken this or lighten that or add a bit of color here or enhance that area so you know I'm, I'm always thinking about capturing data as opposed to capturing a photo so i mean i still like to capture a photo obviously but and they are still photos but you know i might harvest some stuff some of these scenes for like i was out uh, down at a place called bridgetown a little while back and and I, I wanted a palm tree i hadn't i hadn't got a shot of a palm tree so I found this one down there, so I photographed it, and then I, I used that in other photos. So, um, you know, I'm not a purist by any 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 stretch of imagination. I, I'm I'm always putting in new skies, altering skies. Uh, I don't alter landscapes completely. Like I don't change um, the form that's there in nature. But um, but look, if, if the sky is, I mean, the sky is something that's changeable. And, and and I always say to people, if you're out shooting a commercial job for somebody, you you better be good at putting in skies and and enhancing images because that's what they want to see they want to see the perfect sky over the perfect you know building there if they're, that's their beautiful building you know they don't want something average they want to see the best sky ever and if you get paid you know to come out for one day and it's it's not doing what it's supposed to do then you need to you know you need to sort it so that's that's the way i look at it i, I when i'm out photographing i um especially if i'm away on a trip if i fly to iceland it costs me x amount of dollars to get there and i want to make sure that i'll capture skies i mean sure if i can capture skies in iceland but i'll use them in other shots i'll do that so you know i do that all the time just to to make things look a little bit more um you know perfect
Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, you know, with uh, especially with commercial photography, it's really hard, especially if you got a really short um, window or um, time frame to shoot. So, um, yeah, very interesting um uh, take on that. Um, shoot for data instead of a photo. That's uh, that's uh, definitely a different one. Um, one thing that I wanna um ask you is um so when I started photography, the way I learned composition, I didn't know all these composition techniques, and but the way I learned it was um. I basically take a hundred photos of a similar perspective, just slightly different, right? So one down low, one up, one closer, one with this in it, with that in it. Um, and that's how I learned composition. But back on the film days, you don't really have that luxury to, um, like you say, you know, every snap is $5 and $5 back then is a lot more valuable than it is now. So how do you um, actually learn composition altogether? Yeah, I am. Um... It's very slowly. You learn it very slowly with film. Um, I, I don't know. I, I I just got to a point where, and I like the idea of what you just said about taking you know the same the same scene a hundred times from different perspectives, changing your you know your viewpoint and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I never did that, and probably because I couldn't. But um, I think I've made enough mistakes along the way to go. Okay, uh, I can work that out. But now I can go out and I can see the balance and I can see the composition, and it just feels right. And um, you know, it's like when you, I, I can, like if you're looking at a mountain range, right? Um, I, I always think about my histogram on my camera and having that perfect histogram, you know, with that beautiful triangle shape. You might have a couple of nice triangle. And, and, and sometimes you look at a histogram and go, wow, that's a beautiful composition. And then other times you've got this horrible one that's just like, it comes up and it goes straight across, then it goes down a little bit and then, you know, and then it cuts off there. And it's like this horrible, ugly histogram that doesn't fill you with any joy. So I, I just, when I'm out shooting now, I kind of feel that the, the composition is right and I find that um, easier and I work quite quick. And I've, I've, I've done a lot of shooting with mates like um, Tony Hewitt, who's an amazing photographer. Um, and he, he he does beautiful work. But he goes, oh, geez, you know, how come you, you're here, you're there, you're over there. You, you're like, so I'm either not getting it right and I'm just moving on thinking I got it right or I got it right and I time to move on to the next thing. So I, I think I, I do have a, um, an ability to see a composition easily and I, and I know I can just feel that it's, if it's balanced or not and um, so that that probably helps I wouldn't say I get it right all the time yeah but I find it probably a bit easier than maybe some, some people I don't know yeah I think like uh, definitely some people might uh, like looking at um, composition might come natural to some people and um, I guess you're kind of one of those more lucky one <laughs> than the others that <laughs> so yeah, that's... I don't know why I, why I ended up in photography and why I've been successful because it, I mean there's a lot of photographers in Australia, but not many of them have galleries or, or and I'm sure there's some that more that could. But uh, you know, especially in my case, it's been a because um, it's been a long process, and it's been a process I've, I've had help with. I've had um, staff and partners that have uh, you know enabled all these things to happen. Um, yeah, you know, I, I've done I've done well, but um, you know, it's you'd think there would be more people doing it, but it just isn't so. How about over your way? Is there a lot of photo galleries over your way in Canada? Um, there's, there are a few, but you know, like nowadays, I think with the the way the online um, world works, um, it's kind of easier. You got less um, um, costs. You know, you just put it out there, and I think it's a lot less risk, right? And um, I mean, I saw your um, I saw your bio, and you were inspired to kind of build. Um, a gallery you saw somebody have a gallery and you thought to yourself you want to build a gallery so there might have been a reason why you know you get to where you are right now where most people kind of especially nowadays in the modern era don't really think much of a gallery uh, more of 
Instagram followings, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's yeah, the dream yeah. is to get, you know, 30,000, 100,000 followers on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so true. And, and this is a, probably a reflection on my age. Uh, I mean, I've had, had my own galleries for 20 years. So 20 years ago, um, the only way you're going to sell prints is if you had them in a gallery. There, there was no social media to help you sell them. So, and it just carried on from there. But I think um, one thing about a gallery that just gives you that little bit of credibility and it also because you know we get followed by other people on instagram that are other photographers that are um, and not all but not all but you know there's definitely a lot of that so and a lot of other photographers aren't going to buy your work they're going to look at what you do and try and emulate it or and and make their own which is perfectly fine that's great um so a gallery out we've done studies on you know people and how they found out about our gallery and most of them are just walking by and see it see at the front and go oh let's go in and have a look and that's where we get our sales from. So, I mean, still, even after all these years, we still make more sales out of our gallery than we do off, off online. But then, yeah, like you said, I mean, you got that massive um, um, debt. Well, well, not a debt, but that, um, you know, every week you got to sell a certain amount of pictures to, to keep the doors open, pay the rent, pay the wages, pay your tax, all that sort of stuff. So, and when, when we had, when COVID hit us, we closed the gallery for five weeks and uh, our staff went on to JobKeeper, which, that was fantastic we didn't have to worry about wages we didn't have we only had some rent as our overhead um and our electricity had been deferred all those costs so we were just back to internet sales and we were and, I, and we, we got some good sales over that period of time and i said to my wife i said far out do we really want to reopen the gallery because this if we can just live like this we can just uh, we don't have to do much we can just bring the printers home get the orders make the prints put them in the tube send them off and um you know it'll be fantastic but no, it's still nice to have a, your own space because people they see you know, see you more. You're more visual, basically. Yeah. And uh, being in Dunsbury, in a small little um, holiday town, we we get a, um, you know, a lot of people that come in, and we get repeat customers. And yeah, you just to get exposed to a different different group of people, and that's kind of nice because you you um you get immediate feedback from from real people, not just a like on Instagram saying oh, I love this shot, man. You know, it's you know, people. Uh, yeah. And they hand over the cash. That's that's always nice too. Yeah, I think I mean like I I have a dream that one day I will have my own gallery. Um, not more, not not for um the sales part of it, but more of just being able to print my work and present it in a way that I'm happy about. You know, um, you know, being able to ha- see that big print of yours and hanging on the wall is um a different feeling. Um. I'm sure you, you, you can relate to that. Um, and that's, that's the main reason why I want a gallery. Um, yeah. But I, I want to um, know and get a little bit of insights. Of, um, so you did a few different things from commercial, portrait, and wedding. And kind of ended up with um, travel and um, landscape photography. Um, how do you get there? Kind of, um, what is the process why you decided that it is your uh, it is what you want to do for um you know for your main part of your photography career it was because i mean i started out wanting to do that because like i said back back in those days i was very insular i was quite um you know i wasn't into you know being in the limelight and public speaking i, I didn't like being around people so much um, not that i'm not a people person because I, I enjoy that um but I thought as far as work goes, I, I needed to be in control of my destiny and I needed to do something that I enjoyed. And landscapes always seemed like the option for me that was the most uh, a good, the, the best match for my personality. So, uh, you know, I did commit, I got sucked in. I started off doing landscapes, but I got sucked into the commercial work and the portraits and weddings by people, friends, people in town that I knew. I mean, I had 
uh, when I put my very first pictures up in uh, in a restaurant, and my, my brother had a restaurant in town where I worked uh, as a dish pig, you know, washing dishes. Um, I, I put the pictures in there. The first day I sold one, and that was an amazing feeling to have a, a landscape photograph. They're all black and white, and to sell sell one on the first night um, was was brilliant. So that again um, got me thinking that yes, this is the path for me. But the reality out was that it took another three months before I sold the next one. So I wasn't going to make any money out of photography. And, and so I had to wash dishes, picture, do picture framing and all that. And then um, from having the work hanging in the restaurant, I would get business people coming and saying, can you do this photo for me? Can you do this photo? So I started doing um, commercial work that way. And then I had a, a friend who I met down south and he said, can you do my wedding photos? And that was when I started doing weddings. And I thought, well, okay, at least I'm making money from photography, you know. Um, but I, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I, I was shooting these things and these for these people, and I'm, I'm, I'm handing over the work, and I'm not happy with it myself because I'm never happy with my work. And I, it has to be something pretty special for me to to really like it. And if I do like it, I like it for a month, two months, three months, six months, and then I hate it. Um, or not. I mean, I got images that I don't hate, but there are images that I, I just never want to see again. And they just frustrate the hell out of me when they sell in the gallery. You know, it's like, oh, why are you buying that? It's horrible. <laughs> Buy this one. No, no, I like this one. Yeah, but look at that. Look, there's noise and there's some weirdness going on. It's over. Like, you know, it's a small file that's shot on a Canon buddy D60, and it's just it's horrible. Anyway, you get. You sound so, like a photographer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we're all very harsh and very critical of that work. Um, so then, yeah, that's how it got sucked into the commercial. But then, after doing it for so long, it really started to. Um, I was getting really nervous again. I was starting to feel like I needed to escape from it. And I, um, I, I didn't, I, I stopped enjoying it. It was like when I was back in the government and people were telling me what they wanted me to photograph and I didn't like that. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I was doing commercial work and they were wanting specific things and I'm going, I didn't even know how to do that. And I was, I was just fudging it. Um, and I remember I had to photograph a, a fairly important lady, a very well-known lady um, in Australia. And um, I took a few shots and I just went, I, I can't do this anymore. I, I, I'm too worried about being found out as a fraud. Um, so I need to just get back to doing my landscapes. And that's when I quit for a while and then, then rediscovered landscape photography. That's fantastic. So, yeah. Like, um, I, haven't looked back since. I think many, many of us really, especially um, when you kind of just started, really got sucked in into that, um, you know, because the portrait and the commercial are the one that a lot easier to make money. It's a necessity. So um, cool. That's a, it's a really good to hear that story um, from your side of things, um, and you know, to to kind of see that you do have that struggle as well. Um, so, what do you find? Um, how does the photography um, become a part of your happy lifestyle? Then, um, you know, especially um, now, do you still do a lot of photography? Does it still, you know, after all this year, does it still bring satisfaction and happiness to you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, it's the only passion I've ever had that I've never um, sort of got sick of because I've done a lot of things and had you know, a lot of a lot of fun things. Um, but photography has always been there and it always will be. And, and like, if someone said, hey, Fletch, um, you know, here's an opportunity to go on a trip across the, you know, to some shitty town, you know, 300,000 kilometres away and we'll, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll take a canvas and we'll see what we can get. I'll, I'll be in there because I, I love I love it that much that... Um, I just love making images. I love finding it because for me, it's like gold prospecting. You know, when you get a you get your metal detector and you go out. I mean, who doesn't want to go dig up a nugget, a gold nugget, and 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 you know, how how exciting it is just to be wandering in the bush and all of a sudden you see something that's that's incredible, and uh, and you get that you get that gold moment where you, you take that photo and um, um, I, I I never get sick of that feeling. It's 
you know, whether you liken it to an Easter egg hunt or opening your presents at Christmas time. Yeah, photography is like that for me every every time. And and I get um, excited, you know, like it's, um, I remember when I used to surf, uh, if it was a good good day in the surf, you know, you'd, you'd pull up to the beach and you see the waves and all of a sudden you're starting to get, you know, heart starts to pound and you're, you're going, you're getting ready and you're getting so into it, you want to get out, but you're nervous, but you want to do it. And then you're worried you're going to miss it. And, and I mean, photography is, I've had so many stressful moments where you're, racing in your car to get down to the spot and you know the sunset's going to be amazing you just got to get to that you know you've just got to do another kilometer and you've got to get out you've got to get the tripod legs out and you've got to race down the beach and you've got to get to that that spot and shoot it before that sunset disappears i mean i love that scary yeah. stressful but you know that's what keeps me going yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I mean, you know, like hearing your your stories, it, it sounded like you are passionate about photography. Um, mm -hmm. you know, because you you did you did try a lot of things before you get there, but once you kind of find photography, you just stick with it. So that goes yeah. to show how much you you're passionate about it. So yeah, yeah fantastic. I do it any day of the week. If I if I could if I didn't have a business that was a little bit um, heavy on um, labor, uh, I would be I'd be out there shooting more, and I, I do need to push myself more to get out but uh, you know i've got a family and you know kids in high school got a business that's that's almost it was a seven day a week business so um there's always something to do i've got a big yard so there's gardening to do and just don't, doesn't seem to be enough hours in the day to do everything but if i could i'm, I'm the happiest when i'm on my own with my camera somewhere in the bush taking photos you know that's that's and it doesn't have to be spectacular um the less spectacular for me the better because there's less pressure on you. You know, if you're in the Canadian Rockies, I think you said. Yes. Um, far out. I mean, you have so much pressure because your landscapes are all awesome. And if you go out <laughs> and get photos that suck, then you're, you're in big trouble. Whereas for me, uh, we, we're in Australia, one of the flattest countries on earth. You know, it's one of the oldest countries. And um, there ain't much out of you. There's, well, there is. There's a lot of great stuff, but it's so spread apart. But we don't have um, massive mountains with snow-capped peaks and glaciers and beautiful blue lakes and all that sort of stuff we you know we have um you know the outback which is has its own sort of nice things about it but the sunlight you know we got 15 minutes of good light in the morning and 15 minutes at the end of the day and the rest of the day if you're up north it's baking hot you know you'll die out there if you break down it's remote um so yeah that's there's less pressure it's more pressure on surviving less on getting good photos <laughs> so it's much easier that's it's interesting that you mentioned that because it is so true that um you know when you're out here it seems like you're trying to please everyone else than to please you sometimes and it's like it becomes an uphill battle again you know because of the social media and that you know it's like oh this guy's making this like the shot it's like it's a perfect condition and sometimes i get like really pushed to go to those location at that certain time and um when i first got here that's what i did like we were literally just chasing every single condition um you know now kind of because i've already have that i i, I try to um, force myself to sit back a little bit and just find one that actually I really like. So yeah, really, really interesting that you mentioned that um, because that is very true. Um, <laughs> um, no pressure on us over here. <laughs> a lot of a lot of British and dirt. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, you, you're very passionate about the environment as well. And um, you know, I, I myself, um, when I started traveling um, before I even got into photography, I have a lot of. Um, um, ignorance with uh, with the environment and what's happening around the environment and travel really opened up my eyes and um, I get to see a lot of things that I would normally think it's like you know ah, it's just you know 
one in a million is like it's not going to make a difference but when you actually go out there and go to those places and actually see um you know with your own eyes it really changed your perspective so um share i know you're really passionate about it so I, i'd like you um i'd like to hear some of um, your stories about um you know either project or um some environment sort of um issue that um that you see through your travel and photography and what do you think we can do about it yeah well yeah big issue big big question um i the, everybody uh, I, I i struggle with being uh, an environmentalist and traveling a lot for photography and um you know up until in the last 10 years i've traveled all over the world you know long haul flights all over the place um i mean i always offset my flights you know i usually go with Qantas. i'm always offsetting that those emissions you know pay a little bit extra don't know what happens to that money but it <laughs> does anything amazing um so there is that there is that side of it and when the, the biggest issue that i found in my travels was when we went to antarctica and we had i was i was uh, invited as an instructor on a trip and we had, i was two trips i was booked on to back to back anyway we get down to punta Arenas in chile and um what's happened is that we get a plane from there down to king george island so instead of having to cross the drake passage in a boat you just fly across it so you have the same amount of time down on, on the peninsula but you're not floating around in the ocean getting seasick so it's quite a good option you know um but unfortunately, on this particular week that we were there, the conditions were quite warm in Antarctica and the island was fogged, covered in fog. And that went for a whole week. So um, everybody that was on the first trip in Antarctica didn't get to go. So we were all in Punta Arenas waiting by the hour, waiting for the conditions to change and so we could fly in. And we had two aborted um attempts to get into antarctica where, where we got part of the way down and the plane just turned around and we landed back in Punjarinas. um and then the second trip luckily the fog cleared and we were able to get in and um uh, and we we landed because there's you know it's not a it's an uncontrolled sort of airspace there's the, there's no tower and all that you basically got people on the ground saying yeah don't land man you know i can't <laughs> even see five in front of me so so yeah so that was when i really really um, hit home that um we've got a problem and and how that affected so many people um and and i'm sure that happens quite regularly now as, as we know antarctica is having record temperatures and there's record ice ice loss and um and another, another time where i thought you know where the pollution was a problem was when i was in cambodia and i'd never seen the the amount of plastic rubbish that, I, that i'd ever seen and and um and basically the, the conditions that people were living in and um you know it was quite confronting you know thinking wow we've we've gone this far that we we um you know we just we can't get rid of our wastes you know um and look we're lucky here in australia we're you know we're privileged we've got a you know we've got a functioning government that's that works well we pay our taxes and we you know we've got a fairly but there's so many countries that don't have that and it's not anyone's fault well it probably is the government's fault but you know um you know there, there's a lot of issues that people you know they can't change things really and they, they, and it's so easy to sit back as a privileged westerner to and, and point the finger and say hey you, you need to be you know turning your lights off at night and, and spending you know, you know and putting your rubbish in the bin and and you know all this sort of stuff but we're the ones that are creating the, the, the bulk of the problems by consuming what we consume and, and i'm not saying i'm perfect and, and we, we do what we can but it's such a big top thing I, I think definitely getting off um off coal and gas and australia is we're the one of the worst culprits because we have a lot of it and um 
it, it just frustrates the hell out of me because and the way I, I look at it that they they seem to want to protect the coal industry so much i'm probably gonna get in a lot of trouble here but anyway um I think there's something like 20,000 coal jobs in, in Australia that might go if the coal industry was just like phased out. Um, but then I, I sat down, I, I thought about the photography industry. And I thought about, um, you know, remember in the old days when there was film, you would go take your films down to the mini lab and every town would have a mini lab where there would be someone there with a processing machine. You get your, put your films in, you get your photos back, you know, your four by sixes or whatever. And you don't see them ever anymore. They're, they're just gone, you know. Um, they don't exist anymore. And there would have been one in every town all across the world, you would think, right? And now they just don't exist anywhere. But no one ever complained about the poor old photography workers that, that end up without a job. So this is this kind of annoys me. This 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 kind of this the power of the the minerals council, the lobbies, the lobby groups, and all that. They just say, hey, no, 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 you can't do that. We've got to keep digging the coal out of the ground, and blah blah blah, uh, because we've got to keep because it's about the jobs, man. It's about the jobs. Well, how about the jobs in the renewable industries? You know, that's. That's, you know, why aren't we making uh, hydrogen? And I think that's actually happening now. I think Australia's getting a bit more involved and some of the big miners are starting to, to do that. And it's just going to take those sort of people, the big industries, the big corporations to go, hey, you know, we've got to change the way we do things. So that's more the issue as opposed to the small people. But look, you know, we can always inspire other people to, to, to do things like consume less. I'm one that needs to be consuming less. Um, and, and, you know, one thing I really see is... Um, having young kids, teenagers, they're so much more aware and um, than than we ever were. And and my son, for example, is a is he doesn't want anything. He doesn't want to consume. You know, he's he he doesn't see the benefit, doesn't see the need. He understands what's going on in the world. And um, yeah, and and, um, and there's a lot of kids that are um, now are so much more aware of everything from you know, racism, sexism, you know, they're, they're politically aware, they, they understand corruption and, um, you know, and I'm hoping that they're going to be the ones that make the changes, you know, when they all turn 18 and can vote. And, and I think you can see it happening. You know, we've had a bad run of leaders around the world now for a, a while. All the, all the nut jobs have been out you know, cementing their, their um, hold on power. But they're in the minority now, so we just got to get our, get all this, the, the rational thinking people together and make some changes to make the world a better place for everybody you know oh, that's that's fantastic um i think rant. I, I totally agree with you you know um it's not about changing it overnight and i think it's impossible it's um it's about finding what's sustainable right because there's always mm -hmm. that balance between yes we can do this but then what's going to happen with everything so it's about having that awareness that hmm, maybe if we just reduce once a day it will actually make a lot of impact so um yeah, yeah that's 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 amazing um especially um this is what I find as well, um, coming back to your story in um, Antarctica, is that what I find when I'm here in Canada, I see global warming a lot more. Um, one of the glaciers that is here um, receding at 50 meters per year, for at least 50 meters per year, which is like when you think about it, it's crazy because it's, it's massive. Like you go there, it's like five stories high. You're looking up and it's like, mm. what? This thing melting, like disappearing at 50 meters per year? That's just insane, you know? Yeah, so, um, yeah it's uh, really... Um, really happy when i see someone else that um you know spread this this message i suppose um it's 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 not gonna be um it's not always gonna be we're not always gonna be able to change everyone but hey that's uh that's where you start right well yeah. and i think you it's really hard trying to change people's minds if they if they if they're not ready to change and um you know i've, I've given up ranting and raving on facebook and stuff in fact i don't even go on facebook anymore um because 
you don't win any friends. You just alienate people. You just make you push them even further away because no one no one wants to be told what to do and how they should be living their life. They need to want to do it themselves and then they need to make the changes themselves. And I mean, and and inspiring people to do that's more effective than you know calling them out for it. And um, we're all hypocrites. We all we all do shit things. I mean, the best thing we can do is <laughs> go jump off the planet somewhere and um, let it do its do its thing, you know. But when it's not going to happen. We're all here. We just need to um, be smarter. Yeah, and, perfect. Um, you know, that'll happen. Yeah, no, or it won't. <laughs> It'll either happen or it won't. And you know. Yeah, that's that's very true. Like, um, and I think one of the reason uh, why I encourage people to travel more is that they will get to experience it for themselves because a lot of times. You know, they see the media and they think the media is lying and just finding that headline. It's like, yeah, they might be finding that headline, but there's also a little bit of truth in it. And, you know, being able to see it for yourself, like I myself only changed my mindset when I uh, when I see it for myself. So it's definitely a difficult one um, for sure. Well, yeah. thanks a lot for being here, um, Christian. And um, one last thing, one last question that I always ask my, um, you know, anyone that comes into this podcast, what is the one message or one advice that you can give um, uh, photographers, um, whether or not they're, um, they're new or they have been in it for a while? Um, yeah, it could be anything. So what is the one message that you would um, yeah, deliver to photographers? Um, never be happy with what you've done this week because it's always going you to, you can always get better. You can always strive for more. You can um, do things that have more meaning. Um, and I do that all the time. I think if you, as a photographer, think that you're at the pinnacle of the game and you're the best you're ever going to be, then you're probably not going to be that good. You know, you need to keep moving forward and experimenting and, and trying new stuff. And, and that's the hardest thing to do because, and I'm struggling with myself, you know. It's so easy for me to get up in the morning and go out, find a pretty landscape, take a photo of it, edit it, print it, put it in the gallery, and, and someone will go, oh, it's lovely, it's beautiful. But that's not going to last forever. And it doesn't feed your soul. So you need to just continue to push yourself. Don't be happy with what you've done. Just always know that you can do better because you can. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot. And that's, uh, that's perfect to close um, um, our podcast. Now, for those of you, uh, for the listener who want to find more about you and your work, especially your gallery, um, where um, can they find you? Yeah, well, you go online is probably the best way. It's christianfletcher.com.au. And um, yeah, that shouldn't be too hard to find. And yeah, uh, that's where I do most of my stuff um, through the gallery. Um, I was, I'm not doing any much training anymore. I do have a training website where I teach. Um, I've got video tutorials on my um, uh, Photoshop techniques and that's christianfletchertraining.com. Perfect. So, yeah, if you turn to that, you subscribe to that. And, but, you know, like you said, everything's on YouTube. But um, the difference with my stuff is that if you like my work, what I teach is basically what has become my style. So the techniques that I do, you may be able to find those from in other places. But if you like what I do, then that is, you know, it's valuable in that respect. But, you know, there's not much different to what you find anywhere else in, uh, on YouTube. There's probably guys doing it way better than me. But my tutorials are um, a bit more quick and uh, to the point, less rambling. Yeah, I'm normally talking. I think at the end of the day, it's um, it's about what um, what resonates with the people, right? So um, check out Christian's work, and if you do like his work, um, you know, see if um, um, check out the training and um, see if you could um, learn from what he have to um, teach you, because uh, he's been on the game forever, and he's um, definitely from for a for a, a city that is so isolated. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely have my, uh, you know, have I've been to everywhere. So that's fantastic. All right. Well, um, 
thank you very much for being here. Um, thank you very much for sparing um, some of your time. Um, I know you, you are busy back home. Um, but yeah, well, we'll come this to an end. Um, Wiki Hunters, thank you very much for tuning in. And hopefully that is, um, you find that inspiring as well as um, helpful in your photography journey. And if you're, um, if you like this and if you're interested to hear more, don't forget to hit the subscribe button just down here and leave a comment or a like. Um, you know, feel free to um, stay in touch with me and Christian. Well, thank you very much, Christian, for being here and absolutely love this episode. And um, it was such a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, that was likewise, man. Thank you. Thank you.